And so I think a lot of Christians, their Christian life kind of goes flat because they have an intellectual side to them that's not being fed and should be fed. We're loving God with all of our minds. And so from that aspect, apologetics is great for believers. Um, it encourages them. It does increase their faith, helps their faith to be strong. Let's be honest. Talking about our faith, it can get hard sometimes. Sometimes we get caught up in the world, but now the world will have to get caught up in us. We're here to talk about it. We're here to talk about our real faith. We're here to talk about the real God. For unapologetic apologetics everywhere, welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. Welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. It is my pleasure to be on today with a friend of mine who I met about 10 years ago. We're coming on the 10th anniversary of my uh, nonprofit or our nonprofit, Tactical Faith. Uh, What a crazy, wild trip it's been for the last 10 years. Been involved in apologetics for for 20 years of my life for sure, but the last 10 years have just been an incredible blessing to me. And one of those reasons is because I get to meet such neat people and not necessarily people just in the Christian faith, but Christian, you know, just all kinds of interesting folks. Uh, one of the great pleasures, though, is to be able to uh, form relationships with people that have the same love and desire to go deep into the Christian faith and ask really decent questions and have a heart for ministry. And the one that I'm bringing on today is is one of those people. His name is Dan Arsenal, who happens to live in the state of Alabama. So I get to I get to do something fun today with our podcast, which is to really kind of showcase uh, one of our own here in the state that's doing what I'm trying to do in the state as well. Uh, Dan was born in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, he kind of grew up uh, in Atlanta. Uh, from what I've read and remember him saying uh, he was an atheist at one point in time and they got back into the faith into the early uh, 70s and decided and we're talking about a pretty smart fellow here by the way a valedictorian in his own right masters of philosophy uh, he pursued at Vandy and then he decided at some point uh, God just took him and uh, through reading of the Bible he became a believer and then became a pastor uh, life as a missionary and a life as a pastor and then um, I'm trying to condense this all together from what I remember in reading his bio, but he since kind of moved to Tuscaloosa, uh, became a pastor there, is still a pastor there, but then started something called Dan Arsenault's ministry. And Dan Arsenault's ministry uh, was kind of built around a television program, a local television program in Tuscaloosa called Church for the Skeptic. Uh, you can get to his information at churchfortheskeptics.com uh, where you can get all this information. Uh, but I keep running across people, Dan, in Tuscaloosa that if I, I mention you are apologetics or one or the other, it always inevitably gets to Church for the Skeptics. Uh, so thanks for coming on. But tell me a little bit about Church for the Skeptics and why you started it. Okay. Um, well, in 2002, I just uh, got more and more um, burdened, I guess. What happened, you see these young people who are graduating from high school, and then you never see them again. And some of them just got involved in other things and sort of dropped out of church. But a lot of them were either losing their faith or <clears throat> their faith was really weakened. And given my own, given my own background, um, <clears throat> coming from unbelief, uh, <clears throat> I knew that there was a great deal of evidence in support of Christianity. So I've always 
been that kind of a believer, I guess, where I'm looking for answers and looking for information. And so I just felt like the Lord was leading me to, at that point, resign the church and start this Church for Skeptics. Leave out the V if you go to the website. It's churchforskeptics.com. But Church for Skeptics um, was just a, a dream. And I am not an initiator. I've always been one to follow the open door, you know, wait for God to open the door. So this is the only thing I've ever actually initiated in my whole life. I've always waited for ministry to come to me. So it's a miracle to me that it's been going on for 17 years, 18 almost now. So we started the program. I, I raised enough support to just get the program on the off the ground and uh, pay for the airtime and production. And so it's, it, you know, up until the pandemic, uh, it was doing great. And then the pandemic really hurt our support. So we ended up having to drop the TV program, but we still have a YouTube channel um, and uh, are continually adding videos to the YouTube channel. We have a Facebook page. And so we're trying to use the social media at which I'm terrible. I'm so technologically challenged, but I have a good team. Um, I think you met one of them yesterday. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, so, uh, and the, the purpose is, number one, I'll give you two examples. <clears throat> I have a, a, a nephew who's a great guy, just a super guy, good-looking guy. Um, and recently, his appetite for knowledge and apologetics has just skyrocketed. So he and I are in a lot of contact right now. As it turns out, his Christian life was missing something that apologetics uh, took care of. Christianity is not a dumb faith. Uh, it, it, I mean, think about, we're talking about God here, who's pretty smart. So, uh, Chris, you know, Christianity itself is the most intellectually satisfying faith on the planet because it's true. And so I think a lot of Christians, their Christian life kind of goes flat because they have an intellectual side to them that's not being fed and should be fed. We're loving God with all of our minds. And so from that aspect, apologetics is great for believers. Um, it encourages them. It does increase their faith, helps their faith to be strong. Also, it's, it's a challenge to non-believers to give Christianity an honest audience. Um, and so... I just say that's two sides of the same coin, the evangelistic side to encourage people to consider the gospel, which is always the goal. It's really all about the, the gospel, uh, supporting the gospel, supporting, justifying what, what philosophers would call justified belief. Um, so the pro, we launched the program. Um, I built my own set and had to set it up every week at the studio and, uh, we went off and running. So here we are, you know, almost 20 years later. What do you think since you've over the last 20 years, what have you seen in terms of trends? How have things changed in, in terms of the questions that are being answered? Maybe they're the same questions of 20 years ago, but what about people and desires of, of, of unbelievers and believers in themselves? What have you seen changed just in 20 years? That's a great question. I think what's changed is Postmodernism has really become more and more entrenched. So in that sense, when I started, even in 2002, which um, still postmodernism had a pretty good grip, but people were willing to engage on the questions of, okay, what is the truth? What is the truth? 
key keyword is the truth. So everybody kind of agreed. I mean, the atheists, the new atheists that came on the scene, uh, you know, Dawkins and Hitchens and company, they they agreed that there was such a thing as absolute truth. I guess Dawkins still does, but Christianity wasn't it. Now, as postmodernism and the whole gamut that comes from that has has taken hold, the question has changed not to what is the truth, but what is truth anyway? Pilate's question. And I think now it's your truth, my truth, no truth, which, you know, so people aren't as interested in, let's say, proofs for God's existence or the validity of scripture or the, even the evidence for the resurrection of Christ. They, that's great. I'm glad you believe that. I'm glad that satisfies you. That's just what you believe. That's a conversation stopper. If, if, if I present the best case in the world for Christianity and somebody says, that's great, that's just what you believe. Well, no, it's not just what I believe. I believe it because I'm convinced that it's actually true, 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 as one guy said. Uh, but postmodernism has been a game changer for sure. Um, and so we have to learn how to deal with that. We have to break down, I think, uh, show the nonsense that postmodernism represents before we can even have the conversation we need to have. And, and how would you break that down? I mean, because I know from in terms of worldview looking, you're looking for yeah. you're looking for a worldview that's consistent and comprehensive. Are are you playing a, a, a kind of a tactical game with an unbeliever of, of trying to showcase, OK, you believe this. Let me show you to its logical conclusion while it's inconsistent. Is, yeah. is that what we're yeah. trying to do? Yes, it's the whole uh, I can't think of the Latin word at this moment, but ad absurdium or something like that, where you're showing that if you take it to its logical conclusion, it's absurd. And it's pretty simple with, with postmodernism. Um, there is no absolute truth. And you, you, the, the answer to that is just a simple question. Is that true? Um, if somebody says to me, there is no absolute truth, I say, is that true? Well, if they say yes, then they've defeated themselves. If they say no, they've defeated themselves. So it's, it's the epitome of the worst kind of being wrong. The worst kind of being wrong is to be self-contradictory. Um, and so if you can just gently in conversation show that, okay, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm incorrect, maybe what I'm representing in Jesus is not the truth, but there is a truth in its place if it's not true. And if it's true, it's true for everybody. You can't, it's non-negotiable. Um, truth is just, I've heard it said a lot of untruth. The facts don't care about your feelings. So um, I think getting to that conversation, it's like, it's like you're having to get them on the playing field where the rules of the game are the same for both. You think it's false. I think it's true. Okay, now we can have a conversation. But if you think there's no such thing as truth, truth is what we claim it to be or truth is what we want it to be. And of course, there's a whole gamut of uh, subjects around that statement as well. But, but the, the challenge today is to get people on the same playing field of logical conversation. And I think that's kind of where the intersection of evangelism, like you said, in apologetics is. I mean, we're, we're called to be persuasive into the marketplace as Christians. And that means we have to use everything to our, you know, we have to use everything that we have, including our, in, to, in, in order to be persuasive, we have, uh, you have to have arguments. You have to be nice and gentle and wise, you know, wisdom field. You have to be all these things. So wise, and, and this is a broad brush. I'm not saying all churches are this way, but me and you can canvas the, the church field, you know, pretty well. Why yeah. aren't churches doing this? I mean, what, what, and 
well, not only why are they not doing it, what do we need to do to get churches back to producing Berean-style Christians that are persuasive in making a real impact in their local communities? Great question, too, and, a hard, and not an easy one. If I knew that, I'd probably write a book um, if I knew the answer to that well, and others have. I think here's what I, I, I think there's an influence of when I, when, let me go back. When I first became a believer in 1972, um, I started going to Forest Hills Baptist Church in Decatur, Georgia. The, the entire emphasis of that church was what we're, we called at that time soul winning, sharing your faith, giving the gospel. My, my entry into the ministry in January of 1974, I went into the ministry as a missionary to Atlanta. I was a single guy. They paid me $100 a week. That was my entire salary, $100 a week. Um, and I went door to door in Atlanta sharing the gospel. That was my baptism, if you want to call that, into the ministry, and it was, boom, here's the gospel. Let's just make that the first thing, the most important thing, but human nature being what it is, even in the church, that can get to be sort of a salesmanship, close the deal, get somebody to pray the prayer and count them off on your list. Uh, it's more impersonal, and, and of course, a lack of discipleship to follow that, so I think over the years, the reaction to that is like falling off one side of the horse to keep from falling off the other side of the horse. And so I think the church has kind of softened its evangelistic zeal. And of course, you've got the advent and, and sort of rise of uh, reformed theology in the church. And, and I have a big problem with that. Um, but, you know, God's got this. It's going to happen one way or the other. And so we don't need to be as adamant and as, as evangelistic as we did. And so I think the, the tendency is to fall off the other side of the horse. Um, and of course, add to that, the, the, the enemy, he just wants to stop the conversation. And, and so he can do that any number of ways. Postmodernism, of course, being the best way that I think he's come up with in a long time. He'd If truth and error get equal time, truth's gonna win almost every time, I think. So the so the, the the enemy strategy I think is just to stop the conversation, um, and postmodernism certainly certainly does that. So with the church being a little bit watered down, for lack of a better description of it, maybe or especially in their zeal, and of course now with postmodernism and the church embracing that, um, there's no reason to share the gospel anymore. Um, if 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 you can go to heaven any number of ways, of course, and of course, according to George Barna, 50 plus percent of evangelical Christians don't think Jesus is the only way to heaven. So if, if there are a number of cures, anyone will do. If there's only one cure, we've got to make it known. Um, and so I think, I think that we don't, there's the strategy to get your question was, how do we get churches back on track with this? Preach the word. I mean, that's the only thing I can, I can say, preach the word, uh, be instant in season and out of season. I don't want to put people on a guilt trip. And so as a pastor now going, this is my third church I've pastored in all these years. Uh, my, my goal here is not to put people on a guilt trip and say, you've got to be out there sharing your faith. I think if we truly fall in love with Jesus and his grace, and we are, we are, overwhelmed in a sense by his love for us uh i just preached last week on the secret of life the secret of life is reproduction 
That's sharing your faith. Christ reproducing his life in us so we can reproduce that life in other people. That's, that's what Christian living is. That's discipleship. But the secret of that is us abiding in Christ. If you just read John 15, it just he keeps adding these words. He uses the word abide 11 times in 12 verses. And the secret of abiding is obeying. And then he goes, if you keep reading, the secret of obeying is loving. Mm. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So if I'm, that's my, that's my starting point. I, I just want to know how much Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so every day. And if, if that's not the motivation, it's not going to end up right anyway. It's going to end up being the old sales pitch that we had in the 1970s. And that said, a lot of people got saved in the 1970s, me, one of them. So um, balance, you know, but, but I think it all boils down to, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Let's encourage people as pastors and teachers and leaders. Let's love Jesus ourselves, love him back. It's a, he, want, he loves us. He'd like to be loved back. He doesn't need us, but remarkably he wants us. So um, once that happens, I think the rest of it falls into place. That's good. It starts with me and you, right? I mean, it, yeah. that, that's what I keep telling myself when I, when I look at all these global problems or even statewide problems, I have to, that's a good word to remind myself, Matt, it starts with me. Yeah. It starts with, it starts with my, my willingness to put my knee to the throne and, 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 and worship the, the one true God in Jesus. So oh, that's perfect. But you've been all over the world, right? I mean, I, I've looked in your bio and I've heard your stories. I mean, you've been, you've been to a lot of places uh, and had the opportunity to defend the claims of Christ. Uh, I'm looking on your bio, Germany, Aust Austria, Spain, Norway, Italy. I mean, are you, do you, would you say that the same things are going on? I mean, in the Western world, we have this fast pass to secularism. We just happen to be 20 years behind everybody else. Uh, do you, did you see similar trends wherever else you went? Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. We're 20 years behind, let's say, England and, and Germany and, and the, the European world. And, you know, they don't even remember that they have a Christian heritage, uh, that Western civilization really is the product of Christianity. Um, they, would, they would probably deny that. They might think of it as ancient history at this point. But uh, they, they're so secular. Here, when I go to Europe, and it's been a while since I've been there, but um, I found the most, most conversation starter as opposed to a conversation stopper was to point out to them that the two things they hold most dear are self-contradictory, which is the worst kind of being wrong. So I say, you guys believe in, how many of you believe in, in um, universal human rights? Well, they're all up they're great on human rights, universal human rights. Yeah, we're down with that. We love that. All right. Then the next thing they hold too dearly is moral relativism. How many of you believe everybody should decide for themselves what's right and wrong? And they all believe that too. And I said, wait a minute, you can't have it both ways. You can't have universal human rights and relative morality. You've just, you just that's the worst kind of being wrong. Well, they're very smart people in general. Um, and so that gets their attention. It's, it's a conversation starter. So now it's the culture has been so postmodern and so global for so long in Europe, they've just forgotten how to reason. Um, they, and I think that's happening here too. We've forgotten the rules of logic. We've forgotten the law of non-contradiction. Um, and so, but once you, it's like, you can't escape it. Once the light bulbs start going on, it doesn't necessarily bring them to Jesus. 
but it at least is a conversation starter. And uh, so I, that's my modus operandi, I guess, when I go to when I go to Europe. But it's becoming the same here. You just have to ask questions to point out the contradictions. And I think that's what you're talking earlier about what we're called to do to be salt and light in the world. And I, I really like that approach to it of what we're called to be. Um, and it, it is everything. I mean, it's, there's not one thing. Some people are going to be really drawn into that. Some people are going to be drawn into um, be ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that's in you where they know us well enough to know we've got the same pandemic as everybody else. You know, mm -hmm. the Christian world has the same problems as everybody else. But if they see our hope and our response to that. Um, and let me say this, Matt, I just because this is what the Lord's telling me because I'm very frustrated as a pastor. People don't are afraid to come to church. People don't really want me to visit them. I might bring the, the, the virus into their home. And so it's frustrating as a pastor to, to do those things. And I'm thinking, Lord, you know, why don't you deliver us from this? And I mean, of course, I'm not, you know, the, the guru of Christianity here at all. But, but yesterday when I was praying, it occurred to me that one of the things I can learn, going back to what you said earlier too about starting with me, one of the things I can learn in this situation is that Jesus is enough no matter what else happens. And uh, if my, if the word and in my relationship with the word and my relationship with Jesus in prayer um, isn't enough, then I need to go back to the drawing board anyway. So mm -hmm. despite all these obstacles, I want I want to have the hope within me, um, and the and the the faith in me. But the reality as well of, of fellowship with Christ. Um, I'm reading a book called With, uh, for the second time by a guy named Sky Jathani, and he talks about how we relate to Christ using those prepositions. Are we over God? Where we're, you know, we're doing it your way, so you owe us God, or we're under God, where He's going to beat us up if we don't do it his way. But his his preposition is we need to live with God, Adam and Eve in the garden with God in the evening where where he's elevated us. And of course, I'm rattling on here, but um, that's kind of where I am right now. It's just if you've always got Jesus, if you're a believer, no matter what, no matter if you got the virus or you don't have the virus, um, He's got, that's not going to change. And so that's, that's, I think we have to hang our hat on something that doesn't change. Yeah. I grew up in, in the Baptist world in Alabama and, and so many of the simple things, uh, I'll, you know, at one point I look back and say, boy, those were just, just, you know, almost two simple platitudes that, that wouldn't really get my life, uh, or my faith, you know, uh, you know, kindled to a point where I'd have massive zeal. But now I go back to those simple phrases of, of and just simple things of watching people uh, in the church that I grew up of just reading the Bible, yeah. you know, like uh, the simple faith of just reading the Bible and going back to announcing and, and proclaiming the story of scripture. Uh, you, you, we're so disintegrated in, as a culture and we're disintegrated as people because we were built to walk with Yahweh. I mean, that's kind of what you're saying. I'm built to walk with Christ. I'm built to live a life uh, with Christ in me and living through me. 
And for those that are out there that we get so mad at politically and we want to put them off into one side of the aisle and say, well, they're active. Well, you know, they, they're built to walk with Yahweh and they don't have it. And the other simple idea of, you know, y'all, you remember in the seventies and eighties, when I was growing up, I always heard, well, there's a void to be filled. They don't have God to fill that heart shape void in, in their, in their chest. Um, and I think that is so right. When I look at people, no matter if they're believers or unbelievers, I'm constantly trying to tell myself they were, they were made for Yahweh. They were made for God. And, you know, and a lot of the things that they're trying to do, especially unbelievers, they're desperately in the same shape that I am disintegrated, um, desperately wanting to be in the new heaven and the new earth. But until that time, I need to be encouraging people with hope. And that's what you do. And that's what you have done, Dan. And that's what I am, am imploring people that are listening to the show. Um, go to churchforskeptics.com. Um, you know, go to YouTube, look up Dan Arsenault. It's D-A-N-A-R-S-E-N-A-U-L-T. Uh, he is a, a fantastic representative of the faith. He's local, you know, for, for those in Alabama. I mean, he's here. I mean, we don't have to pay him to come from California. This, this guy is here doing it and doing it the right way. And the right way is he's not platforming to get a huge YouTube presence. He's, his platform is Jesus, and he has bloomed where he's planted in Tuscaloosa. And, Dan, thank you so much. This won't be the last time that you come on. I wanted just to give people an idea and also to have a resource uh, when I talk about you to go send people to to learn a little bit more about you. So uh, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thanks a lot, man. Enjoyed it.